Welcome to the Global Fluency Podcast. This is a space we've created to explore the components of diversity, inclusion, and cultural competency. Cultural competency. And all of the ways in which these components present themselves in our professional and personal lives. Be it language, culture, socioeconomic class, gender, race, ability level, age, or so many other identifiers. Everything begins with a conversation. conversation. Join us in this space where we seek to empower, educate, and uplift by creating authentic conversations on issues that affect us every day in every way. We look forward to you joining us in our discussions with everyone from thought leaders, diversity and inclusion strategists, students to CEOs in the corporate, education, and nonprofit sectors. Let's discuss how we can better understand differences and leverage commonalities. Let's do away with political correctness, explore ideation, build community, and create allies. Let's start an authentic conversation. This is the Global Fluency Podcast, and this is Bertine Crevacore West. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Global Fluency Podcast. My name is Bertine Prevacore West, and I'm delighted to be your host. Today, I have with me our special guest, Daniela Semeco. She is the CEO of Shea Polyglot Inc. Daniela, please say hello to our listeners. Hello. So I'm so delighted to have Daniela here with us, guys, and I want to tell you a little bit about her. So as I said, she's the CEO and co-founder of Shea Polyglot Inc. And oh, it's Polyglot Inc., not Shea oh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. At Polyglot Inc. Thank you, Daniela. Thank you. And so uh, I'll tell you about uh, Daniela's invention, the Polyglot Keyboard. That's a keyboard. It's one keyboard with many languages. And it was invented by Daniela, a polyglot born in Venezuela, who acquired her language skills during time she spent in France, Germany, the U.S., and Venezuela. And so um, Daniela likes to say, that um, from her experience, um, life is a crooked street. So her invention, the polyglot keyboard, illustrates this truth. It sprang from a lucky accident in her life journey, um, which has been a diverse one geographically, linguistically, and culturally. She was born in Venezuela, grew up in Georgia, studied music for a few years in Caracas, and the idea first came to her a little after she returned to the United States from France and Berlin, where she studied German and interned in art galleries. She was visiting her dad in Georgia, applying for work and writing resumes. She was determined then to move to San Francisco. And one skill that she had was speed typing using several different keyboard layouts. So when she thought about this, she realized that this skill wouldn't help her get an interview. And then she thought, why are there so many keyboard layouts in the world? And then the idea hit her that she would invent a multilingual keyboard for polyglots. Uh, such as herself. And as a polyglot, I am super thrilled to have you here because I, I love the trajectory of your career, the invention that you have, and what that means for so many people who type in different languages like you and me and so many of our listeners out there. So as everybody knows, the Global Fluency Podcast explores every aspect of diversity, uh, be it linguistic, be it social, be it cultural. Uh, we like the political job, ability level. We like to talk about everything. So this to me was a perfect um, just interview to be had with you. And again, thank you for joining us all the way from San Francisco. So I'm glad that you could be here with us today. So let's just dive into the questions. So Daniela, please tell us a little bit about your professional background, 
and the training that you received and your company today? Okay, so my background, I would say, is not very conventional at all. I grew up in Georgia. My family would go back and forth to Venezuela every summer until I was about 12. And then I went to boarding school in Michigan and one year of school in Indiana University. And I thought it was way too expensive. Um, and so then I, I went abroad. You know, I had uh, I went back to Venezuela. You know, that was one thing that I was um, processing a lot is that my my mother passed away when I was 15. And that was really hard on me. And I felt that longing for that Venezuelan culture that had, you know, disappeared from my life. And so I went back and, and it's something I recommend to immigrants. It's like, you know, in your 20s, you go when you're still young enough to adapt to the culture. And I studied in university there for four years. And um, it's the same university system as France. And then I was able to directly enroll in a French university which was super cheap. It was like 250 euros for the whole year. Uh, and I and I was looking, yeah, I mean, my parents were immigrants. They had four kids, you know, and they struggled a lot. And I was just, I was very determined to, to get an education, but not to go into debt, right? Yeah. Not to become an indentured servitude right. or an indentured servant. So um, it's hard, you know, because not, there are a lot of countries that don't charge that much. So but that was always like a big struggle for me. And I felt like for a lot of my life, I had to kind of swim against the current and to get an education, to do the things I loved. But I knew that like music, you know, language is a performance art. It's like either you can do it or you can't. You know, you show up to the audition, you play and you're either brilliant or you're terrible. And, and people can know right away. It doesn't matter what's on your CV, what kind of certification you have. And I just went out there to learn in the field. And so that was, you know, um, I guess the start of my linguistical career, but I, I studied for a really long time. And then I went to San Francisco. I just wanted to like live like a hippie and not have to do paperwork for immigration stuff anymore. Cause I had my U S citizenship and, um, and I, and I went down this rabbit hole, you know, that's the Silicon Valley and, and it was awesome. I love that you're in Silicon Valley. I, I love that you are a woman inventor in Silicon Valley. I, I really, um, that resonates with me insofar as you are, I consider inventors, as I was talking to you about off there, that if you are an entrepreneur, but on many different levels. And, and because I feel that representation matters, this is why I think it's so important um, for us at Global Fluency to, to share your experience and your journey with our listeners. Uh, I think it will resonate with so many out there that we haven't met yet. And, and I always say um, part of having this, this podcast is selfish on my part because it allows me um, the opportunity to meet wonderful, interesting guests such as yourself. But then I think about the people listening that we're, we're never going to meet, right? And that one young lady who's sitting there wanting to invent something or somebody that's so much like you and your story will not only inspire them, but it will encourage them and it will educate them, right? So I'm hoping that this is what happens or even, you know, the father of young girls, because I, I do believe that girls have a firm place in science, in, in technology. And I really want to, to see that happen. And so in a small way, um, this is so I can learn more about what you do, but also so I can help other people learn more about what you do. So I'm grateful that your journey has brought you here. 
And so you were talking about with regard to experiences and diversity and inclusion, right? Besides being a polyglot, let's talk about that happy accident that we were talking about off air. So how did that happy accident and your language skills come together? Right. So I, um, I was telling Bertine that I, I had a lifetime of social awkwardness and, and PTSD. And, and, you know, sometimes you're so depressed and you don't even realize it, you know, because it's like you're blind to it, you know. And so it took me a long time and therapy and things to work through it. And I was kind of a freak. And I would get, you know, fired from jobs and I had a hard time with authority and I'd have like an angry outburst here or there that would uh, not do very well in my life. And then I had this happy accident, right? I I had a roommate who was working at a cafe and I went to see him and this German lady walked in um, who worked next door at the tour company and we started chatting in German And then I went next door and I met her colleague who's also German. There's a lady there who spoke French and I spoke to her in French. And then I was like, oh, by the way, I speak Spanish too. And and they were kind of like, oh, when can you start? You know, they wanted uh, me to be a tour guide and I never applied for that job. They just uh, got in touch with my roommate and they started hounding him and asking, so where's your roommate? Um, I was traveling and they're like, you know, we want to hire her, blah, blah, blah. And so I became a tour guide. You know, I went from having moderate social skills to like having to entertain a busload of like a whole family with teenagers, you know, who get bored or like little kids or or all these old people who like don't want me to take the turns too quickly because their backs hurt or whatever. And I just, you know, I learned, um, it's what my therapist called exposure therapy was that I was, I was putting myself out there. Um, and that's something I've always liked to do, like to, I love adrenaline, you know, and I love to just, you know, people are afraid to put themselves in uncomfortable situations, but for me, it's just such a thrill somehow. And so it really helped me grow. You know, it made it so that now I feel like I can chat with anybody. I see somebody on the street, even with the mask, I crack a joke. And all those little tiny human interactions, uh, they nourish your soul, you know. And, and, I, and I embrace this new, these new skills, you know, because it's such a contrast. And I, I take it as a blessing. And, um, and I appreciate so much to have learned that. And I feel like, you know, it made me into a storyteller. Um, it made me into a listener and, uh, and, and it was just, you know, I, I felt sometimes like I was a clown, but at the same time, I had to learn to bite my tongue, you know, give people a good experience and, and, and I'm just all the better for it. Wow. I love that. That is such a beautiful journey. And I love how you described yourself as a freak. Because I I can't speak for everyone, but I can say for me, that resonates very much. I'm always going through a path, but not feeling quite like I fit, right? And so I had growing up um, friends who were, you know, in their own different cliques, I guess you could say, but I was never in a clique because there was not a clique that I fit into. And then I started to understand that I didn't want to fit into a clique. Right. I, I like being myself, but that took years um, for me to learn. So that's why when you're talking about, you know, your journey and how, you know, you were dealing with PTSD and not even realizing it, it makes me think of how many of us are living functional lives. Right. 
where we're walking through our lives, not even recognizing that there may be trauma that we have not dealt with, um, issues with regard to just our mental health that we've not taken a moment and just explored to see where we can come out on the other end. Because I always believe coming out on the other end leads to our best selves, discovering what those things are about us that make us special and unique, right? And that's why when when you were saying um, you were dealing with your awkwardness, I love that you mentioned therapy, right? I think therapy is highly underrated and therapy can come in many forms. It can come in the form of seeing a professional to help us discuss our feelings, right? And to to really, I think in my opinion, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the best kind of therapist is the one that helps us name the thing or things, right? They help us kind of verbalize our, our feelings, but also through doing that, we discover the power that we have within ourselves, right? So a therapist that would be like, all right, this is what you need to do. This is what it is. I don't know that that will work for someone like me. I think the way that you were able to do that, right? To, to walk through the, the steps of your feelings, to do uh, what I like to call an internal SWOT analysis. Um, I always go back to a SWOT analysis example because I feel like, you know, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Like, so ba- basically weaknesses is what I need to work on for myself. What are my obstacles? And sometimes my obstacles are me, right? And what are the threats out there? You know, sometimes the threats, again, I can turn inwardly and say, well, I'm dealing with, insecurity. Why is that? Right. It, it allows us to be more introspective and get within those layers. And then, as you said, discover these things that are blessings and gifts, because then it makes us capable of listening to other people just in a way that I know I wouldn't have been able to before if I didn't do that for myself. Right. It allows us to get to this point of self-actualization. And so for you to go from um, somebody that's self-labeled as awkward and a freak, right? To be able to use these gifts that you have through this self-discovery, right? Through doing this SWOT analysis, through through exposure therapy. I love that you mentioned that because um, as our listeners know, I'm the proud mom of a son who's on the autism spectrum. And so part of him getting used to loud noises from when he was a toddler was like exposure therapy. We're like, okay, we have to run the vacuum cleaner. So you know that because the vacuum cleaners exist in life, right? And so you know that vacuum cleaners are going to be around and this way it won't cause you, it'll cause distress in the beginning because I'm assuming your exposure therapy, that, that to me is a very brave way to do things, but it's also the quick and direct way, right? Yeah, I mean, you have to be a little open to humiliation, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. I've had to learn a lot of things the hard way and you just roll with the punches. I love that. Rolling with the punches. That's exactly it. Because now, you know, again, going back to um, my little one's example, vacuum cleaners are normal. And it's like, we needed that to happen so you could live in a clean and healthy home, right? (laughs) So, I mean, but, and again, to liken that, you know, we need for us, for all of us to expose ourselves to the things that we're most fearful of, right? That we think we can't conquer in order for us to live in a happy and healthy space, both internally and externally. Yeah. Yeah. And so I love that, you know, now you were the tour guide, you know, talking to all these different people. And as somebody that grew up painfully shy, um, people never believe that about me because I'm a public speaker. I host a podcast, you know, and in my mind, I'm like, what? How did this happen? 
So that's especially why your story resonates with me, the power of language too, that you're a polyglot. I think, you know, just, just speaking from my perspective and my interactions with you, I think that makes it even more fun that, that, and, and it's, you know, languages I love because they are personality shifts sometimes, right? Because each language has its own personality. And so we can kind of just say, oh, all right, if I'm speaking French, I'm thinking this way. And if I'm speaking Spanish, I'm thinking this way. But I love that it allows us to take the best parts of us and interact with people who otherwise we might not have conversations with, right? Because of language barrier. Yeah. And as an immigrant, I also think that it's a common thread that kids, they grow up and they just want to speak English and be like all the other kids. Mm -hmm. And it isn't until they're a little bit older that they realize that it's okay to be different. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, different is good. I I think, you know, this is where too in diversity, I see a lot of of companies, of, of individuals making the mistake of thinking the goal of diversity is to, you know, be the same, when in actuality, the goal of diversity is to celebrate differences, right? And and I just love meeting people who are so different from me and learning from them and hopefully them learning from me. So I think, you know, celebrating differences, if, if that could be the goal that we all try to reach when establishing relationships, right? Wouldn't it be just a better world for us? And even with differences, um, we met through a mutual colleague and friend, um, Marianne Roots, who's in Scotland, you know? And and this is why I am loving um, this world that we get to live in, you know? So it took someone who was in Scotland to introduce us who are here in the States, you know? And and I find that to be fantastic. And and this is where where I see language um having this amazing effect on relationships because it's all about relationships and building those relationships, right? And at Westbridge, we always say um, leveraging commonalities, understanding differences, right? I think I need to add a new hashtag now because of you, Daniela, uh, celebrating differences. So now, Daniela, I want you to, to tell me, like with regard to cultural competence, diversity, and inclusion, tell me what clear goals has this helped you establish in your work And then how did that lead to the polyglot keyboard? Oh, right. Well, you know, I guess one one big thing is that I'm able to represent, um, you know, I'm a Latina, I'm a woman of color, and I also benefited um, from the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights, which is why I've been able to go through the patent process and... And, you know, as difficult as, as things have been, I've also found people who've taken me under their wing. And, uh, and I've made things possible, right? Because I, I don't think I, I could have done it and I still can't do it without those allies to guide me through. But I also, you know, when I was actually thinking about the keyboard, at first I only wanted to include five languages. And for me, they were the languages of opera because I'm a musician. And I thought, all right, Spanish, English, French, German, Italian, Portuguese. Um, but the more I looked at it, I, I, I just realized I could add more and more and more languages um, until I added over 25. Wow. And that's when, you know, I also told myself, oh, my goodness, now it has too many languages. And that can be like annoying because then you accidentally make this character you don't need. And, and then that prompted another aha moment to create a dialogue box where you can turn languages off 
you can say, no, I don't want the comma to combine with the C and make a sedia because I already have the sedia P. I want that just to be a comma by itself or, you know, so I, I had another invention idea and that was to allow the user kind of like when you log into Netflix and you create your profile and create your, you know, you choose all your favorite things that the users would be able to select the languages they need, throw out the, what they don't. And so that, you know, it makes the keyboard really comfortable and makes it so that it's one item that you can ship, which makes more sense logistically. But at the same time, the user has the power to make it highly adaptable to their own needs, whether it's, and, and you could like have, you know, your settings for Bertine and then your husband could have his settings with Portuguese on there. Uh, and, and if your son is like learning German in school, he could do that too. And all with the same keyboard. And so um, that definitely, you know, I wanted to include and then without excluding. And, and so that was, that definitely went into the whole invention process. Now we would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor. Westbridge Solutions is a professional training company focusing on diversity, inclusion, cultural competence, and soft skills trainings. Westbridge Solutions offers a variety of innovative training courses, both in-person and online, live and self-paced. Their clients include corporations, government organizations, healthcare organizations, the nonprofit sector, universities, and individuals such as yourself. Through their rigorous training programs, trainees learn to understand differences, leverage commonalities, and achieve organizational, professional, and personal actualization. To learn more about Westbridge Solutions, please feel free to visit their website at www.westgrouptraining.com or follow them on social media on Facebook and Instagram. Westbridge Solutions, empowering professionals for success. I love that. I love that. And and I love that you mentioned my husband and son because off air we were talking about how you sent me this beautiful keyboard and I'm I'm super excited about that. And my husband saw it and he was like, Oh, can I see and can I see his code speak here um, at the West household for I want it. I'm going to take it and make it mine. So I told him we could share, but it has to stay in my office. It has to stay in my office because I know once he has it, I'll not see it again and I'm not having that. <laughs> but I do love that you made it so adaptable uh, because especially as uh, a former translator, right? I was, and I shouldn't even say former because I still type in other languages. And so I love that this is something that is possible because, um, you know, when you and I first met, I was talking about my frustration at, you know, alt what, and then typing in a number and there would be days where I couldn't remember the number, especially if I'm trying to get something done fast and accurately. I couldn't remember the number. And then one time I lost my alt everything sheet and I was like, this is just horrendous. And I was like, I, I have to go into Word and put in insert symbol. And that took me forever, right? And it takes away your train of thought, you know, when you're trying to actively get something out in your head. And so this to me, Honestly, um, for translators, for in interpreters, you know, for polyglots who are listening, this is a product that they should absolutely have because it is a game changer. And, and I love that it's multifunctional, meaning multiple users can use 
as many languages as they want. You know, like for those of us that are polyglots, we're speaking multiple languages, you know, in our homes and in our businesses. This is the the product that will honestly make life easier. So I love that you had that in your head and then you shared it with the world and then you had ideas on top of ideas about adding more and more languages. That to me is phenomenal. Thanks. Yeah, I definitely always kept the user in mind because I know it's so annoying. You you waste all this time. Sometimes if you want to configure like a different language and you've never done it before, it can take like an hour. Right. And and then you're frustrated. You know, you go from being inspired to being frustrated. It interrupts your work. And and I think that if you could type the way you see it in your mind, the way you can just write seamlessly with paper and pen then I think also the language learning process becomes much more, much clearer in your mind, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and so for me, it's, I care greatly about language education, about literacy. And, and, and I see kids, you know, cause I'm also an interpreter and sometimes I go in and interpret for patients or for lawyers or, or for kids and I help evaluate them. And it breaks my heart when they, you know, the teacher asks them a question and they and they write the a let uh, a word without a certain accent, mm-hmm. and I have to tell the teacher that it's wrong. Right. And and then I feel guilty because I feel like our society has let down this kid who, like, you know, maybe their parents don't teach them how to write with accents, but why? Because they're not able to with their own computer. We're not giving them the right tools to write correctly, to do their homework correctly, to have that always clear in their minds. And so I, you know, it's definitely a huge problem that a lot of people, it's like they're unaware of it. They're just, they, they, they defend the status quo. And I just ask them like, oh, what is it you do now? And when they start telling me all those things, that's when they realize like, wait a second, this is such a waste of time. I'm telling you, and I love that you mentioned this being a part of your commitment and dedication and advocacy work for linguistic education, right? Because as you said, the status quo, that when you said that, it brought to mind something that I heard Julian Castro say when he was running for president. He said, wouldn't it be great to see a presidential sign with an accent mark on it? And I thought to myself, yeah, he's right. But in our actuality, this would only be different, quote unquote, here in America right? Um, and for people who have, are not used to accent marks, but for someone like myself who has an accent mark or two in or three in her whole name, right? Um, that wouldn't be unusual. It would be finally getting it right, right? But then we have to educate. Um, and I'll even go back. I was um, writing my name, um, typing my name on an application for something years ago, and they sent me, you get like a membership card and a membership card had my last name, well, my middle name now, my maiden name, um, spelled without the proper accent mark on it. They had the wrong accent mark. And I was just like, but, you know, I called and I said, oh, can you please spell it with, I think it was a checkbook. That's what it was. Um, can you please spell it with my proper accent mark? Because it's, a, it's not the right spelling. And they're like, oh, but it's still an E. And I said, that is not the same sound though. And it changes the, the pronunciation of the name. And it's wrong. And if I write out and send out check with the wrong spelling of my own name, I'm going to look like a foolish person. <laughs> and so, you know, I was just, and I realized they, they didn't understand 
because that had not been a part of their world. And so again, this is where your work, which I see as advocacy for linguistic education comes into play because then it embraces um, differences in linguistics, which is necessary because I love the accent marks on my name, you know? And before growing up in school, in, in primary school, I never used them uh, because my mom didn't raise me to use them because in the United States, people didn't, you know, readily use them. So as I got older, I started using it more because I was like, it's important for people to see this, right? And my mom was trying to make it easier on me to transition into, you know, mainstream school and all that. But in actuality, you know, now that we have the knowledge that we have, right, about the importance of this, right? In actuality, I think it makes it more interesting. Um, and it's an educational tool when you show up as your authentic self, even on paper, spelling your name the right way with the proper accent marks, right? And educating people on how to use those. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's not only even just feeling foolish because you're like, you're writing a check to somebody and telling them you don't know how to write your own name, but there can also be legal implications. Like what if you send that check to the IRS and then they don't process it correctly? Or I've seen incidents where people will send a wire transfer and the name is wrong. And even if the the uh, all the account numbers and everything's right, then the receiving bank doesn't have to accept it. They have their own rules, you know, and they might reject it. And to fix that, it could take months and it could be lots of money, Absolutely. you know. And even yeah. now that we're in a, a political election time, right? Um, I like to refer to it as election season rather than election day, because now we know, you know, we can know it's early voting and all that good stuff. But even when you spell, you have to spell your name in a particular way, right? You have to make sure your signatures match. So what if, you know, you don't use your accent mark in one spot and then you do in another, like there needs to be uniformity. And so when people get used to seeing that accent mark, letters with accent marks are letters that actually make different sounds, right? Like um, if we're talking about French, the accent aigu and the accent grave, they make very particular sounds. And so that's why I feel like it's important, like you said, from, from a legal perspective, from an academic and educational perspective, from a political perspective, from a social and cultural perspective, these things belong. Who would have thought, right, that we'd be in this position where we're discussing the accent grave and accent aigu, like as things that are, are tangible components of diversity, but they still are. Yeah, I love like in France, they had that whole campaign, Je suis circonflex, mm. like when there was the danger that the accent circonflex was going to be removed. Right. And then people, there was an uproar, you know, no way. It's very important. It really uh, is. Language is a part of culture, which is a part of society, which is a part of, honestly, our DNA just individually and globally. So I, I just, I'm so thrilled that we're having this discussion. But now I want to switch gears a little bit because you are a female inventor, right? And I'll be happy one day where we can just say inventor, right? And, and have it where women, men, boys, girls, everyone is able to just be an inventor. But now because there are fewer of us where the, and I don't, I don't even put myself in the us, but I'm saying, you know, because there are fewer of you where the, the spotlight is shown upon you, right? We must stay female because this differentiates you from everybody else, from the traditional, which has been male inventors. So as a female inventor, are you perceived in any particular way? Are there preconceived notions made about you by others? And if so, what are those? Well, I think definitely 
there are preconceived notions and there's, you know, I'm easily stigmatized. But I wouldn't say that it's just because I'm an inventor. I feel like it affects me in every aspect of my life, you know? So, and a lot of times you don't hear it, you know? People will comment to somebody else, but Mm -hmm. they don't say it to your face. Mm -hmm. So I've seen that too, where a friend told me, Something he's like, oh, I was never going to tell you that, you know. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> but I just mentioned it, um, and I won't say it because there were, you know, racial slurs and, and and curse words in there. But you know, I think that what I realized is that sure, people will be bullies, and and you know, also I'm 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 brown and I'm a woman and I'm also short, so I think like that plays into it too. People see me and they they don't really think I'm capable of much until I start talking to them. You know, and I've had to learn to like drop names because like my developer is a very brilliant, genius guy. And I and he's worked at very prestigious places, you know, like NASA, Bell Laboratories. And 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 so I think that that um, is something I realized, too, is that to be taken seriously, I'd have to like drop a name and talk about a friend of mine who's like a millionaire and and is helping me or, you know, an executive coach who's guiding me along. And um and those are all kinds of strategies to to change the course of, of people's thinking, mm-hmm. right? Because they kind of put you in a box right away and then you have to give them a different box. And so, but at the same time, I think, you know, it's important not to, to let that throw you off because as entrepreneurs, we don't have time for drama. We do not. And, <laughs> and we just have to stay focused and... And sometimes surround ourselves with good people who are like allies and they're holding shields and and protecting you from all this bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, uh, sure, it hasn't been easy, but it's also not something I, I dwell on. I, I can agree with you more. It it does happen. We tend to be particularly as, as people of color, particularly as women, um, particularly as Latin people, particularly as you know, people who are creators, because that's what inventors are, that's what entrepreneurs are, right? We're builders, we're creative. And so I do tend to find that the mindset, the traditional mindset is not that of the inventor and the entrepreneur, right? And so I commend you on on dealing with that and, and putting it, you know, putting it on the back burner, right? Because this, these are things that are going to make us stronger, Right. And so I always say, you know, as people like to refer to them as haters, I always say that those are people that that wish they could do what you're doing right now, right? Um, but they don't either have the knowledge or the talent and both can be acquired. Um, so why not do that instead of, you know, trying to take down the person who's trying to do it, you know? So I commend you on pushing forward because I know that's not an easy thing to do, but in that too, you're shifting mindsets. Right. And that's why, again, I always say representation matters. And I love that you mentioned um, allyship and people taking up shield because what people I've discovered need, like allyship for me, um, is an active word. It's an, a verb. And I've seen in the past where most people treat it as a noun. I'm an ally. What does it mean to be an ally? Right. We need sponsorship. We need support. We need warriors with shields. Right. We need all of those things in order for us to eventually become an ally to somebody else, right? And I feel that as we are being pulled up, we are also pulling others up that come after us. So 
that's another reason why I think your work is so important and so vital, particularly in the digital age. And I feel like it's going to have far reaching impact, which is, again, another reason why I was like, I still want to talk to her about this, you know, on the show, uh, because I even think where you see it right now, I can't even imagine what it will be 10 years from now, right? Um, what impact that will have in schools, in, in technological companies, in corporations, in nonprofit organizations. I mean, think about what that can do. And so on that note too, I want to ask you as we wrap up, Daniela, what are two things that you'd like to impart upon our listeners? Um, well, I guess the first thing, you know, which ties into what you were saying about the keyboard was that I realized that, you know, rather than looking at all the differences we have, that we could come together and see what we have in common. Because there are hundreds of versions of QWERTY with like one dedicated key here and there. Um, like what I love is like the French keyboard. It has the U accent grave, which is only used in one word in the entire French language. Amazing. And it has its own keycap, you know? And so, um, yeah, I think it's just... Um, that was definitely part of my vision was including as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And I still like if anybody thinks that they want they could add uh, a language to my keyboard that, you know, um, I, I love all that kind of feedback. So love it. that and then um, I realized that some products have to be made free for people. That's why our drivers are out there for free. We have a DIY kit where you can print out and cut out little stickers. And it's kind of like a, like a arts and crafts project you can do with your kid. Or maybe a classroom could do that. And, and also a lot of the mentality today, right? People go a lot with a freemium model. There are free products and then there are some that are a little bit more expensive, depending on what you need. Um, but I think that it is important when you want to create a new international standard, you know, when you want mass adoption, mm -hmm. that you make it as available as possible, you know, and that's also part of our, our goal of inclusion. I love it. I love that. That's going to stick in my head for the rest of the day, creating a new international standard. Do you hear that, everybody? I want you guys to think about this. And it is not often that I'll recommend something for people to get, but this is one of those things that I feel like is so necessary. If you are a polyglot, if you are a translator, if you're an interpreter, if you're a teacher, um, you know, if you are a, a business professional, a nonprofit professional who deals with multiple languages, this is something that I think the polyglot keyboard, it's something that is necessary right, to get us to that new international international standard, but to also meet us where we are today, right, so we can address um, gaps in, in language, so we can address, you know, gaps in the therapeutic setting, right, because what if you have a therapist that is multilingual, and let's say, you know, she's writing a report for somebody, or he's writing a report, like, why not this, or why not have um, materials that you can easily type, you know, in another language for the client that you're serving, be they a child or an adult. So this has such such wonderful and far-reaching applications. I I just I'm excited for you. And I'm excited. Thanks. Oh go yeah, ahead. Yeah, and 
I encourage people, like, even if you don't want to buy a keyboard, just take the time. If you work in localization and translation, just take the time to ask your team, how are you typing? Is that a problem for you? Mm -hmm. You know, ask them how they're, they're dealing with that. And, and, you know, people will be surprised at what, at what they learn and how they can support their team members in, in all these wonderful ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so everyone, this has been another great episode. You know, I'm biased though, because my guests are amazing. So <laughs> Daniela, thank you for sharing your time, your expertise, your enthusiasm, and your invention with us here at the Global Fluency Podcast. I'm so thrilled that you could be with us today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. So everyone, as you know, let's keep the conversation going. I want you to remember that this is your podcast. So let us know what you thought about this episode. Let us know uh, what topics resonated with you. And let us know how you shared that with other people. So also too, remember to catch us on YouTube for closed captioning. Remember to tune in and let us know what you think about the episodes, but also let us know what guests you'd like to see on the show because we are responsive to what you want. So although, like I said, the show is a selfish endeavor on my part, I also want to know what you're thinking and who you'd like to see on the show. So as we say farewell, tune in next time to the Global Fluency Podcast. Thank you for joining us. And remember to keep the conversation going. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Global Fluency Podcast. Tune in every Tuesday of the month at 10 a.m. for our latest episode. Connect with us on our social media. You can find us on Facebook at Global Fluency Podcast and on Instagram at Westbridge Solutions, LLC. Global Fluency Podcast. Understanding differences, leveraging commonalities. Let's keep the conversation going, going, going.